bricks and stones saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul i stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit they say they want the kingdom but they don't want god in it yeah i went with nothing nothing but the thought of you i went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who would like to hear or see the show, they can go to our website, hotm.tv, and they can click on streaming video and watch it from anywhere in the world, Uh, and so we recommend that you do that if you're outside the state of Utah and uh, parts of Idaho. Listen about our websites. We're just trying to refresh your memory. HOTM.TV is a website uh, that you can go to and get everything you want to know about the shows. BornAgainMormon.com is where you can find out about our ministry, what we believe, which is essential Christian doctrines, and uh, what our whole purpose is about. And then you can also go to LordsWord.org, which uh, will tell you about the uh, gathering on Sundays that we do to teach the Bible to people who are seeking to learn it. Hopefully that helps. There's some really good events coming up this next weekend and next week that we want to make you aware of. First, this Saturday in Logan, we're having an open water baptism in northern for the northern Utah area. If you want to publicly demonstrate your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and... Uh, Uh, Be baptized. We invite you to come on up. It's on the main road between Wellsville, heading into Logan. Look for the balloons. 4 p.m. up off that main road. It's right off the golf course. You can go to the website to find out more information about that. And then afterward, whether you're baptized or not, or whether you just want to come and socialize, we're going to have a a fun uh, get-together and party at a beautiful home up there in Wellsville. And then after that, on Monday... July 14th, we're going to be having interviews here in the station. And uh, the interviews will be um, for people who have left Mormonism or are coming out of Mormonism. I forgot to put my microphone on. And, uh, and people who want to share their story to give insight and hope to other people, other families. If you're not uh, converted to Christ yet, You can come and share your story. We can talk. Everybody is welcome who has had doubts, has left, or is leaving because we want to get all that footage on tape from 9 in the morning to 6 p.m. That is Monday, July 14th. Come. We'll sit here, interview, and don't be nervous. If you're afraid of your neighbors knowing, we'll black out your face and alter your voice and, uh, and go from there. Okay, Project Abandoned Ship, have you gotten the nerve yet? Have you taken the time to take your name off the records of the church? Send a message loud and clear up to Salt Lake City. Tell them until you change, publicly change, the teachings that you have had in the past that are errant, I want my name off the records of your church. Um, Regarding Abandoned Ship, Bill in Idaho wrote, 
quote, it might be helpful to those prospective persons thinking of removing their names that spiritually speaking, the church doesn't have any effect over them whether or not their names are on the records of the Mormon church. Their new relationship with Christ trumps everything that came before they became new creatures in Christ. There's no mojo about their name being on the rolls. My ex freaked out when I removed my name. She asked, but Bill, what if the church is true? I had to laugh at that idea, but it shows the stranglehold of fear and intimidation the church exercises over its members. Another email uh, from Wally says about the same subject, Sean, I took your advice and downloaded the form letter from your website, and, and I abandoned ship. I filled out the letter verbatim and mailed it to the LDS Church downtown, and that was six weeks ago, and I was waiting for a letter of discharge. Yesterday at 6 p.m., I got a knock on my door, and the local bishop of the ward uh, and a young elder were with him, wanted to discuss the letter. I asked him if they had read the part where I said, I only want contact from the church uh, in the form of a letter to let me know that I'm no longer a member. I asked who sent them, and he said he was under orders, end quote, to be there. I said, who ordered you? And he said, I won't tell you. And then he quickly changed his mind and said the name of a stake president or something. I told them that the letter said no contact, and they came anyway. And I told them if they are going to take this type of action, uh, that I was going to take action against them. And they fled off the porch like a couple of scalded monkeys. This is proof that abandoned ship works and you've got the attention of the folks downtown. Finally, from Karen, who has not attended her LDS church or ward in 13 or 14 years, nor had contact. Last week during the show, about 9.30, a call came from a very happy woman who asked uh, from the ward. She asked if I would give the prayer at church on Sunday. I told her no and that I had not been to church in years and did not intend on going back. Her response was, okay, thank you, and hung up. It's really interesting to me that they don't call and say, we missed you, you know, come on back, let's talk, what's going on, what do you think, what's led you astray? We want you to come back and do something. Uh, she writes, this is another example to encourage me to remove my name from the LDS roles. I've been putting this off for some time, but intend to do it very soon. Uh... It seems that heart of the matter um, airs, that airs here in Utah on Tuesday nights between 8 and 9 p.m. is coincidentally the same exact time that the weekly mandatory emergency broadcast, broadcast test signal is being sent out to television stations across the state. Who is responsible for this test signal being sent out? None other than KSL. Mormon-owned television. Just an interesting little side note. That's what people were calling about last week, right in the middle of a great dramatic performance. Beep! You know, came on, so whatever. It ha we'll see if it happens again tonight. People uh, say all I do is pick on Mormonism. But hey, my disdain for religious manipulation cuts in every single direction. A good friend of ours sent a disturbing article from the Salt Lake Trib dated July 2nd of this year. The headline is, in case of the rapture, email my good friends. The article goes on to describe an LLC that's been established by people who are fearful that their assets will not be properly allocated when they are caught up in the air with Jesus or when they're raptured. 
For an annual fee, this Christian company assures its customers that in the event they are taken up to be with Christ, 64 of their unsaved family and friends who have been left behind will be notified and supplied with important legal documents relative to the administration of their abandoned estate. Freaking amazing. Uh, I went to this website and checked it out, and it is totally serious. First of all, who is going to be around in this supposed Christian organization to send the emails out to people who have been left behind? I mean, are they hiring reprobates so that they're sure they won't be taken up with them to enable to do this emailing? And second of all, do they really think that people who are being raptured up with the Lord Jesus Christ are going to give a rat's foot about what happens to their camper in the side yard? It's unbelievable. Come on. This stuff is embarrassing. You know, you, we can't do this kind of thing. We can't do this. So it cuts both ways. All right. Before we go on to tonight's topic, which I'm really excited to go into with you, it's going to be a number of part series. Allow a few other moments of monologue. Tired and trite as this statement seems to be these days, the demand for being communicatively correct has reached an all-time high. We have to be so careful of what we say, how we say it, even our facial inferences, so we don't hurt tender people's feelings. Special interest groups are constantly crying foul of anyone who voices an opinion that even whispers that something opposes them in any way. I received an email from an insulted homosexual last week. Um, Cheryl wrote... Quote, do you have any idea how painful your mockery of the gay people in Salt Lake City can be? Many of those gay people are Mormon or formerly Mormon. Some like me have turned into your show for comfort from, for a place, from a place that they can never fit in, the LDS community. Do you have any idea how difficult it is to admit that you are a homosexual? Do you know how many end up dead because they can't transcend the judgments of people like you? She went on and on uh, writing. I wrote her back, and I'm going to read it so that I don't make a mistake in what I could say. I said, Cheryl, I think you have greatly misheard my heart. I have no anger, hate, or bias against gay people. I love them as I love all thems. Christian thems, Mormon thems, black and white thems, whatever. I do not believe homosexuality should be singled out as the sin above all other sins and feel evangelical Christianity often misses the point of the gospel when they go down this road. My sins are mine and yours are yours. Come to the Lord and let him deal with whatever it is you need. Now, if you want me to embrace the outward in my face homosexual agenda, you've got your wires crossed. I would no more accept this agenda than I would accept the agenda of a KKK member. So while I want the KKK member to embrace the biblical Jesus, I reject his or her lifestyle. Look, I'm about Jesus and his word. If this bothers you, too bad. But as an individual, lesbian or not, I view you as I view all peoples. Don't make the mistake of thinking because I resent a group of men walking down the street and rubbing their nipples at me that I hate gays. I would not appreciate a group of women doing the same thing, at least not as much. I have always said to the gay community, get your gay selves into a Bible teaching church. I care not one whit about your sexuality. 
I care about people, gay and straight, knowing Jesus. This has been resonated through any show we've had when the, a subject of homosexuality has come up. But I'm going to treat you and other homosexuals and children and teens and Mexicans and French people and cat lovers and people who shop at 7-Eleven all the same. If you bother me with some poor me agenda and try to tell me that I have to see you as special, you are sorely mistaken. So I hope that lays it out about what I think about all those special interest uh, ideas. Okay. Word demands from any special interest group is very funny business. On one hand, we have people groups who insist on being accepted into categories as they are, despite the fact that they do not qualify for this acceptance. And on the other hand, we have people who qualify for categorization, uh, but who get insulted when they're being labeled. This is getting to be a very tricky world. And in the world of television, it's even worse. It's an entomological, that means word study, nightmare. Let's look at the word Christian for a minute before we go to prayer. The LDS claim to be Christian. Christians say they are not Christian. Who is right? Can anyone lay claim to the title just because they feel like it's applicable? C.S. Lewis gave a superb illustration on this very subject in the book Mere Christianity. He used the word gentleman uh, to illustrate his point. You see, the word or title of gentleman was once defined by facts alone. A gentleman was a man who had a coat of arms and owned land. That is what a gentleman was. Those were the facts, period. How he behaved or what people thought of him were all irrelevant to the title. A gentleman was a man who had a coat of arms and owned land. The definition was based on fact. Christian used to be the same way. As time marched on, a gentleman became someone not defined by these facts, but by opinion. It became subjectively applied to people. Before long, a gentleman didn't need to have a coat of arms or own land, but just had to be subjectively polite to someone anyone to receive this title. In other words, a gentleman was defined not by objective facts, but by subjective opinion. In the end, this makes the word meaningless because it's not based on fact, but on a person's opinion. Do you see that? Do you see the parallel? One person may say that a man is a gentleman because he will not make advances on the first date, and another one will say that he is a gentleman because he withheld advances till the fifth date. A man who opens the door may be called a gentleman by some women, but a man who doesn't open the door by some would be considered a gentleman too. When words lose their factual meaning and are based on personal opinions, these words themselves become meaningless. Now, let's look at the term Christian. The first time it was used was in the Bible, Acts chapter 11, I believe, in Antioch. Just as Platonists were followers of Plato and Pythagoreans were followers of Pythagoras, Christians were followers of Christ, their master. This means they embraced his teachings and credited their doctrines to him. The disciples were called Christians because they took Christ for their teacher they credited the, his every way to their doctrine, 
and followed the rule of life laid down by him and his appointed apostles. A Christian believed in their heart and confessed with their mouth and knew they were saved. This is biblical. A Christian was baptized as an expression of this faith. A Christian worshiped one God. A Christian would never be polytheistic. Never did Jesus teach that marriage would occur in heaven or that in order to get to a celestial kingdom, you had to be married. Christians did not have to pay tithing. They did not have to honor a certain day of the week and they did not have to wear garments or enter into temples to receive ceremonial rites to be pleasing to God. People who embrace these teachings and doctrines follow the rule of life laid down by someone other than Christ. They are not, based on factual definition of the word Christian, Christians. In the case of Mormonism, the followers are far more Smithtons than they are Christians. And I don't say that mockingly. It's a fact. They're Smithtons because they follow the teachings of Smith. Jesus is mixed in there, but they are not Christians because they do not follow the things Jesus taught alone. This is where it becomes difficult. It gets a little murky when personal opinions slip in and assign the title Christian to somebody uh, just because we believe or feel they are. Here, the title loses meaning because it is subjectively applied. Christianity is not defined by personal opinion. Surprisingly, Christianity is not defined by goodness or badness either. If somebody's good, we have a word for that, good. If somebody's bad, we have a word for that, bad. But Christian is not part of that sentence. The LDS have taken bad and good and made it the sign of whether you're Christian or not. In Christianity, the better thing is that is a bad Christian or that is a good Christian, but they are still Christian nonetheless. I hope this all makes sense as we try to examine how to look at words and how to use them based on facts, objectively, or to base them on subjective information. With that, let's have a prayer. Dear Lord, we love you and thank you for this time. We pray for those who are watching. We pray they will know our hearts and our ministry, that it is not anti-Mormon. It's anti-Mormonism, Lord. Let them know that and let them know we are sharing you with them. We pray for this, that the scales will fall for our audience, for our volunteers, for the airwaves. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Tonight, we're going to begin to hash out and study a very large term in the Christian-Mormon debate, the Trinity. And we're going to do this in reference to two separate points listed in the LDS 17 points of the true church. They say, one, the true church must teach that God and Jesus Christ are separate and distinct individuals. And two, the true church must teach that God and Jesus Christ have bodies of flesh and bone. I don't think there could be any two statements contextually understood in the body of Mormonism that are more antithetical to Christianity as a whole. There is a huge theological and doctrinal uh, fracture between Mormonism and Christianity based on this. Latter-day Saints are so indoctrinated to the distinct idea of God being only the Father. When they say God, they mean the Father. And Jesus only being the Son 
and that they both have physical bodies of flesh and bone that they find it rather difficult to, to even uh, consider the idea of a trinity. They find it ridiculous. Uh, Bruce R. McConkie, who was the apostle extraordinaire when I was growing up in the church, gave a talk, and this is what he said, and I was in the mission training center when he gave this talk, and this is something he said, listen carefully, it's three paragraphs, but it's worth listening to. Now remember, when McConkie spoke, the thinking was done, and this was gospel to everybody who was in the church, okay? True and saving worship is found only among those who know the truth about God and the Godhead and who understand the true relationship men should have with each member of that eternal presidency. Oh, God, it almost makes me wretch. Eternal presidency. It follows that the devil would rather spread false doctrine about God and the Godhead and induce false feelings with reference to any one of them than almost any other thing he could do. The creeds of Christendom illustrate perfectly what Lucifer wants so-called Christian people to believe about deity in order to be damned. Okay, so what he's saying there is every Christian who believes in one God, monotheism, are damned. That is what he's saying there. He goes on and he says, these creeds codify what Jeremiah calls the lies of God. And he puts references, a parenthetical reference there from the book of Jeremiah. He doesn't cite what it says, but he makes it look as though the Bible supports this idea that the Christian God is, is a big fat lie. All right. These concepts summarize the chief and great heresy of Christendom, truly the most grievous and evil heresy ever imposed on an erring and wayward Christianity is their creedal concept about God and the Godhead. Okay, end quote, that is from our relationship with the Lord. This is going to be a multiple week uh, teaching, and this is going to be probably one of four or five parts. Tonight is going to be part one on the Trinity, and I'm going to strive to give as much of an exhaustive analysis of the issue as possible, giving both the LDS view and the biblical teaching on the matter. A number of Christian thinkers have summarized God or the Trinity in phrases, and here are two examples. Quote, within one being that is God, there exists three co-eternal persons. Namely, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, or Holy Spirit. Or, quote, within the nature of the one God are three eternal persons, end quote. Latter-day Saints have been coached with the teaching that this concept of one God of three parts is the construct of the creedal influence that happened at Nicaea. As a result, Mormonism claims that the truth about God's makeup, among other things, needed to be restored to the earth because these creeds and these corrupt men took the Bible, they took all, took all the precious truths out, and they left all of the, those who want to know the Lord empty, and God's word was decimated. So Joseph Smith had to come back and tell you and teach you what the true nature of God was. The late LDS prophet Gordon B. Hinckley claims that Mormonism has, quote, a perfect knowledge of the nature of God, which came through the first vision of Joseph Smith. Please go to utlm.org and read how the first vision has been revised over and over and over to give you this present day picture of what they say Joseph Smith saw 
uh, God having a body of flesh and bones that was not added till much later. Go to that website and check it out for yourself. Hinckley also said that, quote, when Joseph left the grove that day, he knew more of the nature of God than all the learned ministers of the gospel of all ages, end quote. For Gordon B. Hinckley to be right, the Bible would have to be wrong, completely wrong. I would suggest that the creeds established at Nicaea and other places were ecclesiastical in nature and were a biblical response to heresies that were cropping up within the early church like weeds. And so the, the true believers got together and said, hey, they are coming up with stuff like Arianism that says there's, God is this, uh, is this corporal being or God is separate from Christ. Jesus was never God. And so they said, listen, we're going to put a creed together and we're going to base it on the Bible. Okay. So while we're covering this topic, uh, we've covered it before. Let's see if we can use the Bible to help us understand a couple things. Uh, let me just read this one quote again and then base the rest of this off uh, what I'm talking about. Within one being, that is God, there exists three co-eternal persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So tonight we're just going to focus on one aspect of that, one God. Within one being, that is one God. From the Bible, Christians know and trust the idea that there is one God. It's called monotheism. Do you believe and accept monotheism? You're sitting there on your couch at home. I don't know where you are. Do you accept one God or do you believe in a multiplicity of gods or in no God? It's the doctrine of monotheism that there is only one God and one God only, there has, had, there has only been one God, there will only ever be one God, and there has never been a God before, during, or after this one God. All of Islam, all of Judaism, and all of Christianity, Christianity agrees with the great Shema found in Deuteronomy 6.4, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Faithful Jews recite this prayer every single day, morning of every day. Now, Latter-day Saints maintain that while they agree there is one God, they say he is one God with whom we have to do. Meaning that there is other gods out there who are God's father, who are God's father and God's father, and that's called an eternal regression of gods. It's also known in theological seminaries as henotheism, okay? Two questions. Do you want to die as a monotheist or do you want to die as a henotheist? Second question, would a true Christian ever be henotheistic? Even more to the point, can you imagine Jesus teaching henotheism or polytheism in any of the four gospels when he was here on earth? Can you imagine him teaching a multiplicity of gods? Just ask yourself that question and see what you think. You know he wouldn't. Now, Latter-day Saints have attempted to say that the great Shema allows for henotheism, but the Hebrew word for one in the great Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one, that one is echad. And what it means is, quote, no family when tied to the name Yahweh 
and it refers to somebody who does not belong to a family of gods. You want to read more about that? Go buy the New Mormon Challenge. There's an article in there by Paul Owens on page 274, and it will, it's a fantastic article that examines this whole thing. What does the Bible say about there being just one God? Let me answer this as we go to the phones. Deuteronomy 4.35, it says, Unto thee it was shown that thou mightest know that the Lord, he is God. There is none else beside him. Isaiah 43.10, Before me, God speaking here, before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. How black and white do you want it? How black and white do you want it? You're going to believe this guy who says he had these visions that told him not only that God has a body, but that he should secretly take wives. I hate to jump on that, but this is the guy. And he came up with temples and all this other stuff. You're going to believe him over what the word of God says passed down from generations of holy men inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is, this is so important to you. Isaiah 44, 6, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Jesus affirms the truth of the great Shema, that the Lord is one God. Paul repeats the truth. Jude repeats the truth. James repeats the truth. John repeats the truth. Upon this foundation, all Christians must stand. There is, there always has been, and there will only be one God. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. The phone lines are full, but just keep trying, and uh, you'll get through, and we'll take your uh, calls as we go along. Let's go to Luella from Salt Lake City on line one. Luella, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, yes, John. I have one question to ask you. Yes. Uh, could you tell me what your uh, rationale is? I, I think you observe a Sunday Sabbath, is that correct? I observe a, a Sunday, not Sabbath, but a Sunday Lord's Day. Oh, okay. Uh, well, then, I don't know, maybe, maybe my question doesn't apply. Uh, I was just wondering what the rationale would be. I'm an ex-Mormon, uh -huh. but what, would your ration, what is the rationale uh, based on the Bible that uh, we observe a Sunday instead of a Saturday, Sunday being the first day of the week and Saturday being the seventh? The rationale is that, one, the Lord was resurrected on the first day of the week. After the, the apostles went to the temple and gathered there on, for the Jewish traditional Jewish uh, Shabbat on Saturday, they also met with the Christians, converted Jews, on the first day of the week throughout the New Testament. And, so, um, and there's also rationale that plays into the idea that when you read what the rules are for obeying the Sabbath, which was a covenant between the Jews and God and not the Gentiles, you'll see that no one is really keeping the Sabbath these days. If you break the Sabbath Saturday, you're to be killed. So we, you're not, we're not obeying that any longer. We're not under the covenant of law any longer. And the first day of the week became the springboard from which Christians go out and live the rest of the day versus the last day of the week. Uh, Saturday for the Jews was a day of rest because they were under the law and they worked, 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 worked until Saturday came and they had this day of rest. For Christians, we springboard out into the rest of the week and having the Lord with us every day instead of that one day. Oh, okay. Does that help? Yeah, that, that explains how. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, thank you. Thanks for calling. Bye. Bye-bye. 
We're going to Don in Salt Lake City. Don, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Hey, Don. Hey, um, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do tomorrow. I'm going to... Let me, let me get my pen. <laughs> I, I, you know, I left the church last year, but I was unofficially out of the church um, since 2002. I took my garments off. I yeah. put them in a bag, and I'm going to use them for rags. All right. My cousin Leroy doesn't think I He thinks I, I still worship those garments, but I don't. And what I'm going to do tomorrow is I'm going to put my garments on with no shirt over it, and I'm going to walk around Salt Lake City all day. I'm going to go to Temple Square. I'm going to go into uh, uh, Compton Center. And what I'm hoping is that, is that they will make make comment, and I'm going to say, well, does this make you upset? And if they say yes, I'm going to say, well, now you know how I feel of being lied to you for 43 years, from 8 until 51. Well, um, Don, uh, that is not my style. Uh, I try to, try to get them to talk to me, even though uh, it's tough. But uh, if you feel you're led by the Lord to do that, I'm not going to be the one to say don't, but I, it's just not something I think that's going to be effective in helping Latter-day Saints appreciate Christians more. Yeah, I, I, can, I can understand that. Yeah, I think it, and if, and if you get into a discussion with one and they say, well, what do you believe now, Don? And you say, well, I'm a Christian. I just think that is not going to be a good witness. Well... I am a Christian, and, you know, you you were t talking earlier today about, um, you know, meeting together, you know, for, you know, for religious discussion on, you guys have it on Sunday. Yeah. I don't believe in organized religion at all. I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, as contained in the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, and, you know, I'm at the point that, I'm, I'm in control of my life and, and the way um, Jesus wants me to live my life. Don, the problem, the problem is, is the Bible for the early saints does believe in organized religion. It believes, it, it tells us to congregate with like-minded believers, to break bread and to pray together and to, uh, and to meet together in these circumstances. And so I think, I understand what you're saying. Organized religion can be ugly. But, you know, it does serve a number of great purposes. You get to gather with people like-minded. They can pray with you and pray for you. Uh, you know, you just ask yourself, you're walking down a dark alley and five large men are walking towards you. Would you rather have them hate religion or would you ha rather have them go to church on Sunday? I mean, it provides a good social uh, response, too, for, for people. So I understand that a lot of churches have made things ugly, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are plenty of churches in Utah, I know of the pastors and, and reverends and other things that they call themselves, who do a fine job and aren't out there fleecing the sheep. They teach the Bible. They're there for you. They'll counsel with you. And so there are a lot of good churches out there, Don. Don't throw it out. All right, my friend? Rock, that's why I watch you. <laughs> well, there's other people much better than me. It's just they're busy in their churches. Go meet one. I'm telling you. Uh, right. I... I, I, I... You know, I, I've, I've listened to people. I've tried to do what they, they want me to do all my life. Right. And, well, so uh, just... 
Maybe you can come to Lord's Word sometime. Come down there and maybe we can meet and, and maybe I can offend you with our religion or something. Are you going to be at the station on Monday? Yeah. Come on down. I'm, I'm going to come down. All right. We'll see you then. Okay. Bye-bye. We're going to Doral. He says he's a first-time caller. He's LDS, but we've had a Doral call before. Is that a popular name? Doral, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, yes, Sean. Hey, have you called before? Yes. Oh, okay. I thought you had. I remember that name. So yeah, well, I was uh, I was just wondering whether you uh, believe that uh, Jesus Christ was resurrected with a body, a glorified body of flesh, bones, and spirit, and went to heaven that way. Yeah, absolutely. And the Trinity has a body of flesh, bones, and spirit. Sure. Did you say yes? Yeah. Okay, well then what you've done is divided up the Trinity again. Oh, really? Because the part of the Trinity that Jesus then is different from the part of the Trinity that isn't Jesus. Well, Jesus took his body back, Doral, so he can return with it. He's going to return, and he's, he took his body. Maybe he put it in storage up there, and he's... Put it in a he, closet? Yeah, you know. I mean, come on. Uh, the Trinity, when we get to who Jesus is in the next few weeks, we're going to discuss about the corporal nature of him that he condescended and took on a body of flesh. The Book of Mormon teaches that really well, too, the Christian doctrine. So, you know, we can talk about that, but the idea is uh, they are one. They yeah. make one God, Doral. Now, let me ask you this, then. Uh, right. oh, who was resurrected? Uh, was it... The Son. Jesus? Did it was the Son, yeah. Christ, or was it, was it God? Because according to traditional Christian view, uh, God, uh, the eternal Father of heaven and earth, came to earth incarnate in the... Far, in the that's not true. That's, that's monarchistic monotheism. Okay. That is not true. The, the traditional Christian view is not monotheism. I mean, not monotheism. Uh, what is it? Someone help me. Modalism. modalism. It's not modalism. The Christian view has never been modalism. That was a heresy that the creeds, the Nicene and the Athanasius creeds, got together to fight modalism and to fight I, Arianism. My question. So if G, God came to earth, incarnate in the form of Jesus so he, that okay who got resurrected was it God incarnate in the form of Jesus or was it Jesus Christ it was both he was, was both. Jesus Christ was God yeah because because God the eternal father came to earth incarnate no not the eternal father you keep making that mistake okay you keep saying God the eternal father came and took on a body that's called modalism and that's not what Christians believe distinguishing God, God himself God the Father was in heaven. God the Holy Spirit was doing his work on the earth and around the earth. And God the Son was on here in the flesh. Uh, and there's, it's, it's not difficult to comprehend in that sense. Well, then, then you've thrown away the idea that, uh, that uh, Jesus was God incarnate? No, I haven't thrown that away. I just said God the Son, yes. And, Jesus, and God incarnate means that God came to earth in the form of Jesus. Okay, but in your mind, Doral, this is the problem. When you say as a Mormon, God came to earth, then you're you thinking God the Father. Then you explain it. I just did. How on earth are you going to say it any other way? If Jesus was the very God... The blinders are so right, tightly wrapped to your head that you're not able to understand God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Why don't you explain it? Well, first of all, and we're going to get to this point, but you're making me say it now. If my puny brain 
can explain the God who has created everything from nothing, has created animals and balances a universe that is expanding a trillion miles an hour in every direction, then there's something wrong with that God. Okay. You might understand him, Doral, hey, well, and you can have that God, but mine is a little bit more powerful than that. Okay, so, somebody came to Earth. Jesus did. Jesus, Jesus God the Son, came to Earth. I, I, I realize, see, I have to stop you for a second, okay? Oh, no, just, no, 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 no. Let me stop you, and then I'll let you go back to this. But what he's doing is he's trying to show you how stupid a Christian looks when they can't explain. No, I'm the, not. Oh, you are, Doral. That's a lie now. Now you're lying on top of trying to make me look stupid. But go ahead. So, so somebody came to earth. So no, not somebody. Jesus. No, not somebody. God the Son came to earth. God the Son came to earth. Now, okay. how on earth did we pry God the Son out of the indivisible trinity? You know what? You're, you're, you're using your brain and trying to say we had to, oh, that, that we had to pry... Jesus away from the indivisible trinity. They were one. Do that. Jesus was one with the Father. How, he said, I and the Father are one. How can you take either the God, either God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Ghost out of the trinity when the trinity is indivisible? I just said, Jesus himself said we're not, we're, uh, we're indivisible. He said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So what are you talking about? How, how can you pry it? God pried it. I'm talking about the definition of the Trinity. The Trinity. I don't, I, don't, I don't remember reading in the two definitions I just gave you from very noteworthy Christians this thing about this indivisibility, and there's no way being able to pry them apart. By the Athanasian Creed. How do we, I don't think the Athanasian Creed says that either. It might say, indiv, it might say indivisibility, but look, at creeds aren't perfect. They're of men too. But the creeds are, what, are not what define the Trinity. The Bible is what defines the Trinity. I'm not philosophizing about the Trinitarian definition. I'm just stating the Trinitarian definition. No, I don't think you are. Indivisibility. Look at the Nicene. Look at the Athanasian. Look at all those creeds. The, I don't think indivisibility is part of the Nicene Creed. It might be part of the Athanasian. I don't know it as well. well Call, you, look it up and read it to us and prove me wrong on that. But the better, bottom line is what this is is a, all a red herring. Because what it does is that you're trying to put the focus on how incomprehensible the Trinity is to explain. And I am ready to admit that. I would, but I it. will never admit henotheism or polytheism as the answer to that, which is what you would have to do if I turn the tables on you. But you see, what you've got here is the indisputable fact that the, the Trinity is three persons of one undivided substance. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, which is one God okay. comprised of three persons, okay. one undivided spirit. Okay, I, Jesus said, I and the Father are one, so I'm not sure where, I'm, where the argument well, is. So I'm just trying to, well, because you always want to talk about God, and you always want to talk about Jesus. But you can't do that because you can't separate him out of the Trinity. You know, okay. your friend, you've, Jay, made, you've made a false premise, and I, don't, I just, I just don't think it's, it just doesn't hold water. A Christian, I don't think is going to have trouble understanding what I'm saying. But you know, a Mormon is. The, I mean, I'm looking at some Christians well, now, and they're shaking their head that they understand. Do you know what Jason Wallace said one night on his program? I don't know. What did he say? He said that too many evangelicals are using Mormon terminology to describe the evangelical concept of deity. Well, he may be right. And the Mormon terminology is God the Father, God the Son. Doral, 
Fries. Doral. Saya. Doral. Uh, Doral. Both things are Mormon terms. Doral. Just forget it. First of all, I, I don't want to be rude, but you're going on and on. I know and, I'm going on and on. And you're boring. To my cockeyed question. Well, your cockeyed question is right. Cockeyed. I can't understand because you keep saying the same thing. I'm answering it, but you keep going back because it doesn't fit your brain. I just really want to know how you can separate any one of the three persons in the Trinity out of the Trinity since the Trinity is indivisible. Okay. Uh, I don't think they're separate. I think Jesus said, I and the Father are one. I don't think they are separate. I got to go, Doral. Okay. Uh, the reason I do that is because some of them just refuse to let me go, and so I have to do it. We're going to Rory and Spanish Fork. First time caller. Rory, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how's it going, Sean? Rory. Yes, how are you? First of all, I want to give a shout-out to my father-in-law in the audience tonight. Oh, there's the connection. <laughs> but uh, first of all, I want to know if, um, if there's anything biblically referenced to, um, was there a spiritual reformation at the resurrection of Christ? And uh, part of that goes in, so the Holy Spirit dwelled in the temple of God in the Old Testament, right? Like smoke filled it up, yeah. And then still, again, in Acts, that the apostles received Jesus Christ, or received the Holy Spirit. Right. So what's the difference between the Holy Spirit that dwells with the ark in the temple and the Holy Spirit that dwells, you know, in, with the apostles in Acts, and what coalitions does it have with the spiritual reformation when Jesus was resurrected? It's a great uh, question. Remember, Jesus said, I have to leave so the Holy Spirit can come. I think in the Old Testament where the Holy uh, Spirit filled the temple uh, as smoke, I think that that was temporary. I think the Holy Spirit could work uh, upon people and get them to do and influence. But when Jesus died and left and made the atonement for sin, the Holy Spirit could then abide in us. There's a difference in the Greek between the P and the N, E-N, and the in us. And so the, when Jesus atoned for sin and you accept him by faith, which the, they did in Acts chapter 2, they were filled with this Holy Spirit and it lived in them. And so that is the difference between the Old Covenant Holy Spirit and his actions, and then Jesus coming, atoning for sin, leaves, and now the Holy comes, Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So when the veil was broken, when Jesus died on the cross, yeah. was there a spiritual reformation? Was the spiritual realm changed by the atonement for sin that the Satan was conquered and hell was broken well i don't know if it i don't know when it actually occurred maybe it occurred when the veil was rent maybe it recurred at occurred at his ascension but we know that the holy spirit jesus told the apostles wait in jerusalem and they and, and so they did and then the holy spirit came and so i think maybe the real spiritual reformation that jesus initiated through his blood atonement occurred actually at the day of pentecost okay yeah that answers my question appreciate it all right rory take care all right, see you. Bye-bye. We're going to Darren in Chambersburg, PA. Darren in Chambersburg, PA, that's where I served my Mormon mission. Yes, I know. We're about an hour's drive south of, uh, of Harrisburg. Wow. How you doing? I'm doing well. Hey, this is, uh, I'm the one who emailed you about the, being the missionaries at Atlanta Airport. Oh, yeah. How are you? You're, you're serving in the military. Yeah, yeah, I'm on uh, leave right now, so oh. I'm really enjoying that. Um, but the reason, I, oh, thank you for taking my call. Oh, yeah. Uh, the reason I was calling is there's a, a, a book recommendation. When I was in uh, 2002 during the Olympics, I was in Salt Lake City, and um, I really got confused about the different, you know, doctrine, theology about who God was. You know, I was, like, questioning was, 
is it is there only one god is there multiple gods because i was talking to different mormons and one mormon in particular at the museum and i was really confused and then uh, i was at the utah lighthouse bookstore and sandra recommended a book to me called forgotten trinity it's by james r white and it's not a really thick read but it's pretty exhaustive and i just uh, for anyone who's really wanting to research and really wanting to understand the trinity that's an excellent book forgotten trinity by James R. White. The Forgotten Trinity by James R. White. Go to www.utlm.org. You can order it through uh, that ministry. It's a great ministry for information, reliable information. I really appreciate it. And I want to tell you, I appreciate you serving the country, my friend. Oh, thank you. And I appreciate the show. All right. Thanks. Yeah, talk to you later. God bless. Bye-bye. We're going to Valerie in West Valley City on the Legendary Line 4. Valerie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Okay, I'm going to make this quick because you've had a lot of stuff, so I'm just going to say this, and then I'll be done. You've been, you've um, been divided. I don't know where you're, where is that coming out of? Okay, okay. Here, here's, here's my point. When I, was, when I was coming out of Mormonism, I came out because I was terrified. I read the part in the Bible where it says, Satan fell from heaven, and Lucifer, you have fallen because you said in your heart, I will become God. Yeah. He carried that lie over to Adam and Eve in Genesis where he told uh, Eve that they would become as gods. Yeah. And that's the same thing that blinds people. Now, the thing is, is when it comes to, to God, um, I have a spirit, soul, and body. And I am created in the image of God. Right. And I have a spirit, soul, and body. And in John chapter 1, when I read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right. So I ripped back to the beginning to Genesis, and it says, let us go down and create man in our image. That is one image. Right. The Trinity is not that difficult to understand because there is one God. Right. And, and, and I understand I your peril. And I understand. Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Yeah. And I understand your parallel to us being three parts, one person, and uh, the same similarities being there within uh, God. So it's a great and call. So for this same lie, though, that Lucifer fell because he wanted to become God. Right. And he did the same thing to Adam and Eve, and he's been doing it to people ever since. That's a it's really good point. lie to come in dressed as an angel of light to deceive those dwelt upon the earth. Really good point. God gets upset when people believe in other gods. Yes, he does. He's a jealous God, and he doesn't like it at all. And it terrified me when it hit me truth and fact through that book when I came out of Mormonism. Praise God, Valerie. Thank you so much for the call. You're welcome. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. So what is the draw for Latter-day Saints to embrace polytheism or uh, henotheism? What is it that would make Doral so... Uh, uh, positive in his ideas that the Trinity is just a joke and that there are more than one uh, God out there. Uh, there's a couple things. The first one is pride. Uh, it is pride. And bottom line, I thought about it, but uh, doctrines that make God more understandable to us uh, also make us feel like we're superior to those who can't explain him. And so we proudfully walk about and saying uh, things like Gordon B. Hinckley said, Joseph Smith taught us more about God than all the pastors of all ages. And along with pride, henotheism in the context of Mormonism's other teachings uh, allows for the idea that men and women are going to progress to become gods. Again, that's pride. It's all about pride and about them becoming this thing, and that's why they embrace it, because it makes it, it feeds the ego. All right, let's go to Michael in Bluffdale, first-time caller. Michael, you're on Heart of the Matter. 
Hi, Pastor Sean. Hi. Just a couple comments on the Trinity. I got Isaiah 7:14. Okay. It says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which we know that means God with us. Right. That's a great one. John 1, 1, 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We know the Word is Jesus, if we read the previous verses. Right. And then we got um, 1 John 5, 7, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Right. That's uh, it's great verses, Michael. I really appreciate it because somewhere they're going to sink into somebody's heart and they may be the difference between, between them staying and embracing these false ideas, these pagan ideas of multiplicity of gods and the true and living God. So I really appreciate it. All right. God bless you guys. Bye-bye. Thanks. God bless you. You know, uh, Michael read, For unto us a child is born, and he says his name should be called Wonderful Counselor. And it says the Mighty God. And then it says the Everlasting Father there describing Jesus Christ, describing God, and describing the Prince of Peace. And as, as I've mentioned on other shows before, it's the, one of the only times that Father is capitalized in the uh, Old Testament. And that's, that uppercase F means Father, but it's talking about Jesus unto us a child is born. So we have the Trinity spoken of there as well. I haven't gone into all these because of time and trying to take callers, but, but uh, I'm glad the callers are doing it. We're going to Chad, West Valley City, first time caller on line four. Chad, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how you doing? Hey, Chad, doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. Hey, I had a question. I've been talking with uh, a friend at work that's a Mormon doing a Bible study. Yeah. And he was showing me a contradiction in the Bible, or a supposed one, uh -huh. where he says, um, you know, when Paul was uh, on his way to Damascus. Yeah. And in one account, he talks about the people with him did not hear the voice. And, and in saw. the other account, later in Acts, he says that they did. Yeah. They say one says that they uh, one saw the light and didn't hear a voice, and the other one says they heard the voice but didn't see the light, right? Right, yeah. Could you help me out with that one? You know, I can't remember the answer to that. I don't remember the I know there's an answer for it, uh, and if someone has it here, feel free to tell me, but if not, uh, I'll just do some research, and I will give it to you next week at the beginning of the show. Okay. I promise you there's a really good answer. I remember reading it, but I just can't remember what, what it was. Okay. All right, thanks so much. All right, thank you. God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye. We're going to David in Ogden. David, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, yeah, yeah, how you doing, Sean? Yeah, good. How are you? Doing pretty good, bud. Um, I wanted to make a point to you, though. I'm Catholic, and uh, I hate to bring this up, but um, because <laughs> the Catholic Church really did change change it. I mean, it's in, we admit it. <laughs> we admit it in our Catholic encyclopedia. Encyclopedia. I mean, I'm reading it right now off the internet. I mean, we we we're not ashamed. Though. We admit it. We said they we have the authority. Though the bishops, not the it was early bishops, that changed it, and they say um, it's not every Christian obliged to think about Sunday, but it goes on. Them. It says, for example, nowhere in the Bible do we find that Christ or the apostles ordered that the Sabbath be changed. This is directly from. The Catholic encyclopedia changed from Saturday, saying we have the commandment of God given to Moses to keep holy the Sabbath day. That is the seventh day of the week, yeah. perpetual. Today, most Christians keep Sunday because it has been revealed to us by our church. I mean, revealed to revealed to us. This is written by actually uh, in the Catholic Virginian, but um, 
Well, it wasn't revealed, uh, but it, like Moses had the law revealed, but it was part of the apostles' practice, and the Lord put everything, what they bound on earth would be bound in heaven. The Lord gave them the power as his representatives to do what was supposed right. to be done. So I think that the first day of the week still holds water, and I don't think the, the last day of the week, Saturday, can be a Christian Sabbath. Now, if a Christian wants to obey the literal Sabbath day, more power to him. I, I mean, don't. there's liberty in Christ. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't want to do it either. Uh, but, but it does say, in addition to that, this, this is the most important part. It says, um, it, it's actually kind of funny. Most Christians assume this is directly out of the Catholic encyclopedia. Most Christians assume the Sunday is the biblical-approved day of worship. The Catholic Church protests that transferred Christian worship. And it says, and that to try to argue that the change was made in the Bible is both dishonest and a denial of Catholic authority. Protestantism wants to base its teachings on the Bible. It should worship on Saturday. Rome's challenge. Yeah. Hey, you know what? It's a good call, David. It's a lot of information, though, to uh, for for me and the call and the listeners to assimilate. So call again and keep us informed. Okay, well. Thanks. Bye, bye. Uh, Really quickly, see if I can fit a last call before this. But it's my last opportunity for two important events: Open Water Baptism and Logan. On the road into Logan, you're going to see balloons on that main highway right off there in the golf course in the river. We're going to have that, and then that's at 4 o'clock, and then we're going to retreat over to a beautiful house and have uh, food and socializing. And then Monday, the 14th, from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., be here on this set. I'll interview you and hear your story. We're going to get it all on film. We're going to spend the entire day. Come when you can, and let's just hear your stories because they're going to make for a great after-show special. All right, let's go. One more call. First-time caller, Scott in South Jordan. Scott, last call. You're on the air. You've got about one minute, ten seconds. Hey, Sean. Yeah. How are you? I'm fine. Interesting program. I work with a diverse group of religious backgrounds where I work at. I'm in the business of people. Oh. I've got all kinds of folks. What I'm looking at here is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. I'm kind of comparing your definition of yihad uh -huh. to that one given by James Strong, and you guys don't seem to add up together. Maybe I'm missing something here. Oh, well, what does James Strong have to say, Scott? Well, he speaks about the gods being united. The word yihad meaning the gods are united in purpose. They don't talk about Yihad being a singleness of God at all. Does Yihad, when you say in purpose, does he actually say in purpose? You know what? He doesn't use the words in purpose. He says the gods are united. Now, mm. God sounds kind of plural to me. Not to me. I mean, we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Yes. I'm that is correct. Yeah. So let me ask you, Scott. I'm going to turn the tables because I didn't do it on moral, but do you believe in polytheism? Not at all. Do you believe in henotheism? I may believe in henotheism because I've got a, a list of references I cannot reconcile from the New Testament. Boy, send those to me and let's talk because i got to tell you, God is a jealous God, and if you think there's others out there, the you're sorely let's mistaken, right my brother. We're down to the last thing. Send me those references or call again, Scott. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. We'll check it out. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. Break my rusty.
filthy cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage and run